Father, we don't take for granted the privilege we have this evening of being able to meet together in safety, in warmth, with Bibles on our laps. We recognise brothers and sisters around the world for whom this wouldn't be possible. And so we thank you for the privilege that we have. We pray that we might hear you this evening as your word is, is read and preached Would you soften our hard hearts and unblock our deaf ears that we might hear afresh something of who you are, something of who we are, something of the glory of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Be with us, we pray. We're not simply here to um, get a better grasp of Daniel 2, but we long to hear your voice. And so would you speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel chapter 2, it's page 884, if you have a Burgundy Bible, chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So, the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was, and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces, and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honour. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time because you realise that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then, tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among humans. It made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise 
a knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. And Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Tell me, so take me to the king, and I will interpret his dreams for him. So Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I had greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky, wherever they live. He has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of it the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle, and just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The, the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for 
you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego chief ministers over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Friends, a question for you as we um, begin this evening just to get things going in Daniel 2. The question is this, what is the cash value of God being sovereign? If he is powerful, if he is in charge, and the Bible seems to say that he is, over all things even, then what difference does it make to us? What, What difference ought it make to us? Does it make any tangible difference as you're you're living on a Wednesday in the office? You're talking to colleagues. When you're up against it and struggling on a Thursday. When you're faced with problems or frustrations or deadlines or whatever it is for you at this point. What difference does the sovereignty of God actually make? And I think they're important questions that I ask this because my worry is that the power and the sovereignty of God is kind of a theological box that we can tick at times. But then if I'm really honest, I'm not that sure when push comes to shove what it does for me in that situation at that point at that time. How much of a difference does it really make? When you're up against it, your knee-jerk reaction Does it display your trust in a God who is sovereign? Because I know I find it far too easy to complain, to worry, to panic, to moan. I find it far too hard to remember he is still in control and still good, still working out his plans and purposes, even in the minutiae, in such a way that it changes my responses, my feelings, my, my words, my actions. It's almost as if autopilot kicks in and bypasses my theological convictions. Does that make sense? Do you get where I'm going with that? Because if you do, I think Daniel chapter 2 is a passage, a a story for people like us. In the narrative we'll see um, there are at least two problems going on, two opportunities for despair, for frustration, for, for a recognition of helplessness and weakness. And yet the answer to both is a humble trust in the God who is sovereign. Both of the problems centre around this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. One of them sits at the micro scale, the the details, grassroots, low level. It's this this dream that this guy has in bed at night and then the, the problem that he sets up by not being prepared to tell anybody what this dream was. And unless we think God's power is simply at the micro little things, it's with the big stuff as well because the big problem is when the details of the dream come to light, when you learn about this statue, you see, here is the God who is sovereign over empires and nations and kings even. It's not either or, it's both and. The power of God we trust in the little stuff, like, what is this dream and what does it mean? But then in the big stuff as well, like nations and kings, the fears that we might have as we look at our diary for the week ahead, the titchy things, but then the fears that we might have as we watch the 10 o'clock news and see what's going on in our world. 
the concerns we have for the year ahead, for the decades to come. Here is a God who is sovereign. This truth matters. Why does it matter to them and why has Daniel bothered to tell the story? Well, do you remember the context from last week just to try and get us back into where they are and what they're doing? Do you remember the context? The people of God had turned their backs on their gods and so just as he had promised them through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, if you keep walking away from me, I will let you be exiled. And they keep walking away from him and so he lets them be exiled and they're taken to Babylon under the control of the king there. We're in about 600 BC. And it wasn't just people who were removed, but there was the stuff from the temple as well. In comes Nebuchadnezzar, takes away the best of the people and the best of the temple stuff. And so he puts the artefacts of the true God into his temple with all these other false gods, chucked in amongst them. King Nebuchadnezzar believing he is the boss, he is the man, he is the one, he is the most powerful person in the world at this time. And he thinks it's all about him. And so why include this story? Why does it matter? Because you can imagine the kind of questions that the exiles are asking, can't you? God, are you there? God, where are you? How did we get here? Has he forgotten us? Is he real? Is he dead? Does he know? What's he doing? Does he care? Actually, last week we saw three little places already where Daniel has given us glimpses, reminding them, reminding us of God being in charge. We saw it in an extraordinary way in verse 2. Daniel saying to the exiles, God is in charge. In fact, it is the Lord who delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, over to Nebuchadnezzar. This was the Lord behind this, ultimately. The story continues, and there was remember this test. Daniel and his guys do not want to eat the, the food, the wine sacrificed to um, uh, the the Babylonian gods, but also of the courts of Nebuchadnezzar, the royal food. And so they ask this official whether they can um, just have vegetables and water. And then verse 9 again, so second point of God's sovereignty. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. The second little glimpse, God is still in charge, he is still with you, he is still good. And the third one, verse 17, to these four young men, you see, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, hey get this, Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Just pop that one in there. God has not forgotten you. Even at the start of the story we get just three glimpses that God is still sovereign. And yet then in chapter 2 we see that truth being worked out in glorious technicolour. Here is what it really looks like. Here's what it really means. Here is Daniel seeking to persuade a confused and suffering people that God has not forgotten them. So friends, in a messy world like ours, perhaps in messy lives like ours, this is a chapter for people like us. This is a chapter meant to encourage us and comfort us with the truths that our God is sovereign and good. That's been my conviction this last week as I've prepared for it. It's been my prayer for us 
that this account would be a genuine balm in the midst of uncertainty, whether local or global. The little things of life or the big things. Indeed, whether things for us as personal, individual Christians, or even us as a church corporate, thinking of planting churches, thinking of buying buildings, here is a chapter that says you can trust our God who is sovereign and who cares. Okay, that's enough by way of introduction. Let's get into the text itself. Two points for us we shall see. Um, The first one is in the face of apparent helplessness, God is the answer. Do you remember there are two points, I think, in the chapter at least, where it looks pretty helpless and like we're out of control. And yet at each point we see that our sovereign king is the answer. So the whole thing hangs around this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. Verse 1, you see the initial problem, the second year of his reign, so it's pretty early on. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his mind was troubled, and he can't sleep, as any good Babylonian king will do. He summons those guys who know about dreams, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers. And up they come and they say, here we go again. Okay, king, remember, remember how it goes, you tell us the dream, we tell you what it means. And Nebuchadnezzar says, no, no, not this time. Verse 5, here's the game changer. The king replied to them, this is what I've decided. If you don't tell me what my dream was and interpret it, then it's game over. Nebuchadnezzar requests this. We presume, I think it's implied, because he wants an actual answer as to what's going on. Cynically, he knows his advisors can spin anything and sell him an idea. But here he wants to know that they actually know what it means. How do you make sure that you have the answer to your question? You stack the odds against them. Okay, step one, you tell me what I dreamt. And step two, you can tell me what it means. And, as we would in their shoes, the advisers, verse seven, push back. Come on, king. Seriously. But he won't budge, verse eight. I am being serious. You are just stalling. You claim to have insight, wisdom, knowledge. You claim to hear from the gods. This time you're going to prove it to me. And if you don't, well, you can say goodbye. And I reckon at about this point the advisors grasp the reality of their situation. And it's looking pretty bleak. The absurdity of his request. They get it, verse 10. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. And there's no king, however great and mighty, who's done this stuff before. Verse 11, what you ask is too hard. No one can reveal it to you except the gods. They don't live among humans. And so the king gets angry, verse 12, and he orders their execution. It feels like a pretty hopeless situation, not just for Daniel and his friends, but all the wise men of Babylon the most powerful man in the world who successfully and who ruthlessly and who excellently is able to expand his territory is now wanting to do away with his magicians, enchanters, advisors, civil servants. Which means Daniel and his friends too. He will wipe the slate clean and he will start again and get some guys who really know what they're talking about. Just zoom in on verse 10 and 11. And I think there are wrong assumptions made at that point. 
which of course is the answer to the problem. Do you see, because there is someone on earth who can do what the king asks. It is not too difficult. Why? Because there are people on earth who know and hear from the true God of the universe, the true sovereign God of heaven. In fact, as we'll see later, the one who has given Nebuchadnezzar power. And so the one who gave the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. I reckon Nebuchadnezzar, in in his relativistic culture, rather like ours, looks in his temple and he sees these artefacts from different religions, from different gods, different nations that he's conquered. God after God after God lined up with their stuff in his temple, sat under his authority and his power, and he is the man, and they are much of a muchness. But the question is, what if they weren't all the same? What if there was a true God? What if this God was knowable? What if this God was active and involved in his world that he made? What if you could hear from him? What if? And Daniel knows the answer. Which means this, as his friends are faced, he and his friends are faced, verse 14, with Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, the guy who's going to come and kill people, ready to take them away, ready to do away with them. Daniel tactfully speaks, and there are four conversations he ends up having. Um, The first one is to Arioch. He asks what's going on. He says, give us some more time, please. The second one then to Nebuchadnezzar, asking for more time, and then back to his three friends, saying, guys, let's get praying. And then the fourth one is to the God of heaven, asking for mercy. Verse 18. And verse 19, God answers, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Did he spot this? What do they do in the midst of the crisis? They First comes prayer, and then comes praise. And maybe we say, well, prayer is obvious. But you know, praise was pretty easy for Daniel, wasn't it? Because God told him the answer. God told him what was going on. Of course it's easy to praise at that point. Miraculous knowledge, crisis averted, answered prayers, thumbs up and away we go. But you know, here's the thing. When you think about it, Daniel now knew what the dream was. And from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, as the hearer of the news, and from Daniel's perspective as the bringer of the news, the news that he's bringing is not actually that easy to bring, is it? Because what's he saying? The message about Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom is that it will be destroyed and it won't last forever. 
Nebuchadnezzar, you're not actually that great, are you? It's a message about the temporary nature of kingship. It's a message about the kingdom of God coming in and finally ruling over all. And so as Daniel praises, verse 19, I take it he praises because he now has the perspective that he needs in the midst of the crisis. Look at the kind of things he praises God for. He does praise God for answered prayers, but actually the weight of the praise is about the character of God. Suddenly, even though faced with death, the answer to the dream causes him to sing songs to his king, to his God. Have a look down and just see some of the things that we so often forget when we're up against it. It's stuff to do with God's character. He is the God of infinite wisdom and power, verse 20. In the midst of the crisis, remember that. In the midst of the crisis, remember, he is the one who sits above and beyond us. He is the one who changes times and seasons. He is the one even who changes thrones and rulers and authorities. And yet get this, while he may be so much bigger than us, he may be the one of wisdom and power, verse 20. Well, see, then again, verse 23, he is the one who gives wisdom and power when we ask for it. He gives to his people knowledge and the deep and hidden things. He is the one who answers prayers. He is the one who is big and lofty and mighty and yet intimate, and he cares. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we ask of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. And it's not on the same scale, but I don't know what's on your agenda at the moment, what's going on in life, the kind of things that stress you, the kind of things that keep you up at night, the kind of things that make you worry. The thoughts that keep coming back. The crises that you try and avoid thinking about. The things that bring conflict. The things that you just wish would go away. And if I could just fast forward time through that point, then I'd be so much happier. I don't know what those things are, but I do know that the first thing we need to do is pray. I don't say that glibly. But I do know as well that ours is a God of wisdom and power who gives his people wisdom and power. And we are people who need to remember what our king is like, what our God is like. It might not be that that God gives us the tidy wisdom that Daniel has. This is kind of extraordinary. But it is true to say that he wants to expand your vision of who he is so that in the midst of the mess you remember what he is like. Reminding you afresh of his character. Urging you to trust him. Even if it all seems pretty dark. So first point, in the face of apparent helplessness, God is the answer. But then we come to the second part, the second half, and you get to the details and the meaning of this dream, verse 24 onwards. And as you know, the dream is a dream about this statue, and it's a statue made up of different materials, each material representing a different kind of kingdom, one kingdom after the other. I'll just read to you a bit from 31. 
I'm just to remind us of what's going on. Your Majesty looked in there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its leg of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay, and while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. Now what does this statue mean? Well, have a look down verse 38, we're told the first bit. We're told that Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, so we don't have to guess there at all. But from there, I think we have to look to, to further prophecies and to see how that is worked out in history and through the scriptures and say, in Daniel 5, you will see that the Medes and the Persians defeat the Babylonians, which means it's likely the chest and the arms of silver are the Medes and the Persians. Then in Daniel 8 and 10, you get Greece defeating the Medes and the Persians, and so probably there the thighs of bronze, and then history will tell us the Iron Empire can only really be that of Rome. And the feet of iron and clay, the jury is still out. Maybe it's a king that's happened, maybe still want to come, we don't really know. We do know that they are all destroyed and they are all surpassed by this rock that's not been cut from human hands, or by human hands, but by the Lord. So the conclusion then, verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. The message of the dream stretches far beyond Nebuchadnezzar. It stretches to the kingdom of God that will come and will grow to fill the whole earth. It will surpass the treadmill of human, religion, of human kingdoms. And God will finally reign. And imagine you're Nebuchadnezzar. You've just received that. Um, I guess it's not the uh, not the interpretation you were after, maybe. I guess a mix of emotions. On the one hand, amazement. Your secret dream has been found out and interpreted. You, the rug has been pulled out from underneath you. Because you know the dream and you know what he's saying to be true. But then the meaning of the dream... I take it as humbling. Babylon may be an architectural delight. It may be one of the wonders of the world. You may be the most powerful man on the planet, Nebuchadnezzar. You may have the power to destroy civilizations. You may be able to exile people from their homes, to destroy temples and steal temple artifacts. You may have the power to kill all the wise men of Babylon. If you want to, but you need to know this power has been given to you. This power comes from the one who made the world. And there will come a kingdom after you, and a kingdom after that, and after that, and after that, and finally one from my God, says Daniel. And you know, his kingdom will last forever. There's a, um, there's a striking humility, I think, in the way that Daniel shares this information as he stands before the king. Very little of self. You get that especially 
uh, 27 to 30. He emphasises, he re-emphasises, this is not him being clever, this is God, the true God, for his glory alone, who has revealed the answer to these mysteries. So verse 30, it's explicit, as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation, and that you may understand what went through your mind. Now it's not about Daniel, it's about the God who interprets these dreams. It's about the God who creates eternal kingdoms forever. But the key thing to take away is this kind of big picture comfort that they're to have. This is what the dream highlights. It is that our God is sovereign. And the world might look like a mess. But finally, one day, his kingdom will expand and will grow forever. God finally will win. Because back in verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. And we know one day, his perfect king will be raised up. And everyone will see and every knee will bow. So I have to say, this week as I prepared, in a slightly crazy world, with various concerning political situations that we mentioned this morning, that you probably hear on the news and read the papers about, and know that in your prayers, this side of the Atlantic, that side of the Atlantic, North Korea, numerous militant ideological religious groups at play, we can have a quiet, humble, it's not about us, confidence, that the kingdom of heaven will last forever. A, a calm trust doesn't mean we don't pray, doesn't mean we don't necessarily feel anxious, doesn't mean that we don't get involved even, in some sense. But we can have a quiet confidence that his kingdom will fill the world. And that's worth hearing, isn't it? When we feel shaky and wobbly and uncertain, when we watch the news and we see nuclear missiles being transported or we see tweets that feel inflammatory and irresponsible or when there's talk of planetary catastrophes, that was just from this last week, or whatever it might be next week, or as society becomes more and more anti-Christian and anti-Jesus, Remember this dream of Nebuchadnezzar. That the kingdom of God will last forever. Verse 44, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. And so, do you see, God is sovereign, and that makes a difference. It's striking, isn't it? This is an account meant to lift our eyes to him, meant to calm our hearts. We see that he is above all. He is the God of wisdom and power. He is the one who gives wisdom and power to his people. This world is not out of control. Whether it be the little things, 
all the big things. We can trust him. And so it's good to, like Daniel, like his friends, come before him in prayer and to come before him then in praise as we remember who he is. So let me pray for us now. Our Father in heaven, you know the anxieties, the stresses, the concerns, the reality of the mess that each of us is feeling at this point. You know what's going on. You know the things keeping us awake. And yet we thank you that in this chapter we see in both the little things, the, the times when we feel helpless, or the big things, where we see apparent power, that into both situations you say you are sovereign, you are in charge. Lord, help us please in the midst of in the midst of the mess to remember some of these things that Daniel is reminded of. Help us to remember, please, that you are the one who changes times and seasons. You are the one who deposes kings and raises up others. You are the one who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. You are the one who reveals deep and hidden things. You know what lies in the darkness. Light dwells with you. Guard us, please, when we feel anxious, when we feel stressed, when we feel like it's all about us, perhaps. Guard us from looking to self and help us to look to you and to see who you are. Thank you that this passage is a comfort. Thank you that your kingdom will overrule. That your kingdom will be an eternal kingdom that will never be surpassed. Help us to trust you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.